Right, Pastor Doug. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, this weekend, of course, is what? Memorial Day weekend it is. Is what? It's also anniversary weekend. Happy anniversary. Yeah. 18 years. Y'all must have got married when you were like 14, 15 years old. It's amazing. I would like for retired Colonel Wayman Bishop to come up here, please. From our... Um, I wanted, uh, because it is Memorial Day weekend, it's very important for us to take a moment and uh, remember. So I've asked Wayne to come up here and just take a moment and share and pray. And Just a moment. Well, Memorial Day is about remembering. And it's not just about remembering those who have gone before us to secure peace in the land. But it's also about remembering how our nation got to where we are today as a consequence of the sacrifice of many men and women in wars and battles and skirmishes all over the world. So I'd, I'd like to ask those of you who have ever served in uniform in the military service to stand up right now. Okay, I, I would like for those of you who have served but are no longer serving to come up here and stand on my left, please. Come on up, John. I'd like those who are currently serving on active duty to come up here and stand on my right. Where's Mingye? Come on up here. Hurry. I want you over here, Mingye. Now, I want you to look into the faces of these men and women because these on my right now, on your right, represent the faces of those who have served and who have sacrificed. They were a phone call away from harm's way. These two guys and their families are a phone call away from harm's way today. And um, so I, I would like for you just to reflect with me for just a moment about the nature of our country when it comes to war. When America goes to war, she reaches into the homes of ordinary services, I'm sorry, of ordinary citizens, and call into service their young. 
And as a nation, our expectation of them is that they will respond to the call, they will avail themselves to the rigors of training, that they will obey the orders of the officers appointed over them, that they will endure sacrifice, suffering, that they will commit themselves to the possibility of great acts of heroism, that they will fight and win and defeat the forces of evil and injustice in the world, and that they will survive. But many do not. You know, in, in my career in the Marine Corps, I was in the presence of some amazing men um, whose dedication to preserving peace in the world changed the course of history. And I, I don't think we ever think about how that happens. You know, these men and women and these guys have been and will be called to do what our presidents and our diplomats have failed to do, and that is to preserve peace in the world. They had a choice. Men and women in uniform today do not have a choice. Their, their obligation is simply to respond to the call. And so we need to be very mindful of that. But when I was a young boy in Atlanta growing up, my wife lived next door, my wife, Barbara. She lived next door to a guy named Alvin C. Gillum. And unless you have been into the details of American military history, that name probably won't mean anything to you. But General Gillum was born in 1880. And he was a horse soldier on the Mexican border at the turn of the century. He fought in France during the First World War. He went on to lead the 13th Armored Corps at the Battle of the Bulge in the Second World War, retired from the United States Army as a major general and moved in next door to my wife, who was then my sweetheart of 15. And when I would go over to her house, he would call me into his, into his house and sit down and give me uh, milk and cookies and tell me about war. And I learned a lot from him. Uh, later on um, in life, I ran into a man who was 91. This was in 1973. His name was Lemuel Shepard. He had fought um, at the Battle of Belleau Woods in France. He was the commander of a company in the 5th Marine Regiment. And that regiment almost single-handedly stopped the Germans in their tracks as they were marching toward Paris in 1917. He went on to lead a division of Marines at Guadalcanal, which was a pivotal battle in the Second World War. Later in life, I came to know um, a gentleman by the name of Arlie Burke, who commanded Destroyer Squadron 30, 31 during the Second World War, who sailed a third of the way with 15 ships of his destroyer squadron across the Pacific Ocean, intercepted the Japanese fleet, and saved New Zealand and Australia from certain invasion by the Japanese. Changed the course of history. I came to know a guy named Ron Fogelman, who was the chief of staff for the United States Air Force, who resigned in protest to President Clinton's manpower policies. 
That's the only way the military leadership has to object to policies that they think are not in the best interest of national security, resign. It takes a tremendous amount of courage when you're in a position like that to do that. So when this country goes into war, we do so late. The enemy has already established momentum, has already seized terrain, and we enter into the fray in the face of that. For the most part, our men and women enter into battle poorly equipped with the basic essentials they need to keep themselves fed, warm, dry, and adequately armed to fight the battle. It is the nature of the way we go to war. We are a peace-loving country. We have never in the history of this country initiated a war or created a condition that has led to war. We're hesitant to enter into the fray. And that's when, when we do go to war, it is late. And as a consequence, we face terrific odds against us. But there are many young men and women who are willing to take that sacrifice to endure the extremes of sometimes very primitive conditions, to lay down their lives, to sacrifice their lives for the future of this country and its citizens. And we never should ever forget that. So if you are in the presence of a veteran or someone like these two guys who are currently serving, pray for them. Pray for these guys that they will be healed of whatever may have whatever may still be lingering in them as a consequence of the things that they endured in military service. And pray for these guys and their families that they will be ready and that they will endure, that they will fight, they will win and survive. The war, uh, the world is an unstable place. And I, I look over this crowd and I see many young men who are of age to be called and so I, I think we should all join together to pray for peace. We are a peace-loving country. But there are forces of evil and injustice in the world that would rob us of that delicate peace. So we need to place our trust in the Lord, and we need to place our trust in these men and their families to do what is right, to respond to the call and stand up for freedom and justice. So, Father, I just give thanks for these men. And, and the millions and hundreds of thousands who are prepared to go into battle. And I just pray, God, that you, would, that you would cover them with a mantle of courage and dedication and duty and honor, love of country and love of family, and trust and love in you, Father. That the war that we're currently engaged in will come to a rapid end and that peace will prevail in the land. And I just pray these things and give thanks for the, these men and women who have served so courageously and bravely in the face of, certain, of uncertainty. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank all of you. Thank you. God, I can move this here. There we go.
How's everybody doing? Doing well? Praise God. Cindy sends her love this morning. She is down in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I have found out that on the, in the list of life, of priorities, that when a granddaughter comes into that list, it all changes, especially when there is a dance recital, then it means I am going, I'm leaving now. And uh, so uh, she went this weekend, will be gone for about a week or so, and uh, Lily had a dance recital, and so I heard that she did extremely well, of course. And uh, all day yesterday, I was, I was up at the office working on this sermon. I just kept getting picture after picture from Cindy of Lily in her dance outfit. So, so uh, I have some pictures to share with you today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. I'm going to share primarily two things today with you. Uh, we in the, are in the series of living the resurrected life. I want to share first with you the importance and necessity of discerning God's voice. It's probably one, I believe one of the most important things as we learn to live the resurrected life, to know what God is saying. And, uh, you know, our... Our ears are like gates into our minds. And if we're going to live out of a renewed mind, that new man living out of a renewed mind, then we've got to discern and know what we're hearing. And the second thing I want to, he- I want to share with you this morning is I know that we, uh, our church that's set into Richmond, we have a heart for this city. And the second thing I want to share with you about the thing of discerning voices is that we need to discern the voice of the Lord because we need to understand the difference between His voice and all other voices. And I want to share with you uh, for our awareness, for as we move ahead as a church, what is what I believe one primary spirit that has set itself up against the city of Richmond. And historically, has been here we've had historically people come in and prophetically and, and have talked about this one thing that affects not only a church, but it affects marriage, it affects lives, it affects so many things that we need to be aware of. You know, as we're walking out a resurrected life, we, are, we engage from time to time in spiritual warfare. It says in the book of First Peter, I believe it's First Peter, chapter five. It says that you need to be sober. You need to be so sober. You need to be vigilant, because it says that our adversary walks around like a roaring lion. It talks about that as we resist him steadfast in the faith, that uh, we will that we will overcome. The wonderful thing about the resurrected life, the victory has been won. It has been won. But we've got to, re, we've got to enforce that victory every day of our life. Amen? We've got to enforce that victory every day of our life. There's a TV show that is, that is on TV called The Voice. How many of you are acquainted with this TV show? Many of us in here, basic, very uh, basic show that is based on the premise of people 
that have the ability to sing, to try out, and they try to get on the show, and uh, and but when they, and they have four judges that make the determination whether they're going to be on the show, whether they're going to be a part of their team or not. But their seats are turned around when they're hearing them. So all they hear is the voice. That's all they hear. They don't see him. So there's no, there's nothing that would think would sway them in their appearance or stage presence or whatever. But it's all about discerning and tuning their ear to what they feel like is the best voice. And that's what it's about, basically. And they go on and they, 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 they win the show. I think they, they, uh, the program has just ended for this year, and and someone won the show. And and but they're extraordinarily talented people. But it's largely dependent upon as they as they're turned away from this voice. They they hear this voice and they turn their chairs around, saying, "I want to choose you yet to be a part of my team," type thing. So the importance of discerning and hearing that voice is crucial for that show. In our lives, the ability to discern and hear the voice of the Lord as he leads and guides us in life is far more important than a TV show. Amen? And there are many times because we don't see, we don't recognize, we can't see the presence of God, we can only hear. And as Christians, we have got to be so in tune, so strong by repeated times of being in his presence, by repeated times of reading his word, of knowing and discerning his voice. So when he speaks, we hear his voice and we respond to his voice and we partner with his voice and what he tells us to do, to do and we live an overcoming resurrected life out of that place. So I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 10. Jesus deals with this in the Word of God, John chapter 10, of discerning the right voice. John chapter 10, if we could go back, I, I just want to, this comes straight out of, of course, chapter 9. That makes sense, doesn't it? Chapter 9, chapter 10. Okay. I figured that out all by myself. All right. <laughs> But it comes out of uh, what Jesus is doing in chapter 9. In chapter 9, you find Jesus going, and he comes upon a blind man. And the blind man says that, that he wants to be healed. And he says that every time he tries to go to the pool of Siloam, there's someone that's there in front of him, and he doesn't get healed. So Jesus takes him outside the city, and he does a – he basically – uh, spits upon mud, puts it in his eyes, and tells him to go wash his eyes. And he goes back to the pool of Siloam, goes back to the temple, and and he washes his eyes, and he can see. His, it's a miracle. When Jesus encountered this man, he says, he told him, he said, I'm the light of the world. And he heals him. Well, the word begins to get around that this person who's blind from birth, who's in the temple every day, people knew who he was, who would see him, that he can, he can now see. And so the Pharisees and the religious ones are trying to figure out what happened. Because in their mindset, 
they have decided that this man is a sinner. Apparently, his parents were sinners because he was born blind, so they don't really want to have anything to do with him. They've already made a determination in their mind that basically he is just no good. And so, but here he is, he, is he, he, he can see, and they're asking him what happened. And he just says, there's a man named Jesus. He laid his hands upon me, prayed for me. I'm, I, I can now see. And, of course, the Pharisees are saying, well, this man, Jesus, he's a sinner also, da, 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 all that type of stuff. And the man says, I don't know if he's this or that or whatever. All I know is once I was blind, and now I can see. And uh, they basically kicked him out of the temple. They excommunicated him from the temple because, because really that he would not heed to their voice, would not listen to their voice. Jesus finds him right after that and talks to him, and he says, he says do you believe in the Son of God? And, uh, and the man says, I, I don't know who he is. He says, but, but if you show him to me, I will. And Jesus basically says, the one that's speaking to you now and that you see now is the Son of God. And the man says, I believe. So he believes upon Christ. His ability to believe upon Christ and coming into that situation and really be, uh, and being a recipient of a miracle was that he listened to the right voice. So in John chapter 10, Jesus says that, that his sheep will understand and hear his voice. And let's read verse 1. I think we have it up here on the screen. We have it up there, Edward. Thank you, buddy. I'm just going to read this through verse 1 through verse 10. Most surely I say to you, he who does, he does, who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door but climbs up in some other way is a thief and a robber basically saying there is one way to enter in. But he who enter, enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but the disciples and others did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Jesus is saying, basically, there are several voices that will come into your life, but there's only one genuine voice that will lead you in the right way. And he goes on in verse 7, and he says to them again, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. Jesus says a number of things in this passage. One, it's important who you listen to. Is it important who you allow into your life and into your mind? It's important who you allow 
beyond the gates of your ears because it affects what you believe. It affects what you perceive. It affects how in your mind that you see life, and out of that, you walk out life. And if you believe upon a lie, and that lie seems real to you, you believe upon a lie, it will affect how you live out your life. Amen? How many of us know that? But if you, if you discern and to know what Jesus is saying, and you respond to that and allow that to renew your mind and affect your mind, the way you think, respond, all those type things, and how you walk out and you follow him, Jesus says that the life that you will have will be a life that's far more abundantly, far more abundant than what you could ever imagine or think of. So he says, listen, one, it's important that you, it's important which voice you listen to. And then he says, it's important which voice that you listen to, you have different outcomes. He says, with the voice of the enemy, you will find destruction, theft in your life. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, he says. That's the outcome of listening to that voice. And for many of us, for many years before we came to Christ, that was the voice we listened to. And for many of us, for many years, we were in a heap of trouble. You know, we were in a ditch really deep. I don't know about you, but I was. Life wasn't happy for me. There was a lot of things that I had built my life upon, upon the lies of the enemy. And the enemy was all about bringing theft into my life, bringing death into my life, and bringing destruction into my life. Until I met Jesus and I listened to his voice, and I responded to his voice, it all changed, didn't it? Everything changed in our lives. It's an amazing thing. And then we, we spend the rest of our lives, and he's bringing back, he's restoring things in our life. All the things that the enemy stole from us, he brings it back to us. Wherever there was death, he brings life forth. Amen? Whether it's a destruction, he brings, he, 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 he renews that place. So in Christ, we know that if we respond and we know his voice by spending time with him, by being in his presence, by being in his word, it's going to affect our life in an amazing, amazing way. And, the, and, and I believe, and we'll, in a few weeks, we'll talk more about this, about the renewed mind. But I believe that the key of living the resurrected life is having a renewed mind. And your mind will never be able to be renewed if you're still thinking on the wrong things. You're receiving the wrong instructions. You're receiving the wrong voice into your life. And that's where warfare begins as a Christian, doesn't it? Because the enemy is, is, is termed in Revelation 12, as the accuser of the brethren. He comes in our life, and he brings lies into our life. One after another, after another, he accuses, he brings condemnation, he brings lies into our life, one after another. And it's easy to believe those things many times, and it's easy to, to allow our lives to be in that place of, of how, what we think about ourselves, what we think about our relationship with God, because it has been 
infected by the lives of the enemy. And so, therefore, we come into a place many times of spiritual battles, spiritual warfare. And it's important for us as Christians to learn that we have authority over all of that, praise God. And the victory has been won. I love Bill Johnson talks about our life. If you ever listen very, very much to his teachings, talks about our life being on the edge of two worlds. Talks about our life being on the edge of two worlds. He says our life, as we come into Christ, we come into a place that we live from heaven to earth. We live on the edge of two worlds, heaven and earth. And as Christians, as we come into his kingdom, and we allow his kingdom become become priority in our life, we want to know how to, to bring a difference upon this earth by allowing heaven to be a to be to be to be what God wants to bring upon this earth and we become a gateway for that to happen. And so what God wants to where we want to re, we want to see things redeemed by redeemed by Christ, redeemed by his nature, re, redeemed by his blood, that we become a gateway for that, a believing that as it is in heaven, it will also be upon the earth. Amen? And so God tells us to go out. Listen, we should be a people that, that we're taking territory. Amen? That we're taking territory in this city. And that we, 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 are, we are living on the edge between two worlds. And that we understand and know that as we spend time with the Father and we get so full of his perspective and his ways and his thinking that we bring heaven to earth in everything that we do. That any person that we see that we come across during the week and we understand and know, man, they have been being just smacked around by the enemy, that we can bring a difference into that life, can't we? We can bring a difference into the life by encouraging people, by praying for them, by healing a number of different things that we can do. So we live on the edge between two worlds. Like I said in First Peter chapter 5, it tells us to be sober. Verse 8 and 9, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood in the world. It goes on, it talks about that. In Christ, we're always victorious. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? It says here, now thanks be to God in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Always. Now the key is the word in Christ. That's the key. And that's, that's the beauty of it, is that we are in Christ the battle has already been won. The victory has already been taken. It's there for us. And we just allow him to, to move through us, heaven to earth, and we see victory take place. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. In Richmond, the city of Richmond there are access points for the enemy. You can call them gates. You can call them whatever you want to call them. 
or where the enemy gets in. And he has called us, the church, to be the gatekeeper. Called us as a church to rise up, you know, to, to come and protect what God is doing in this city. You know, it's interesting here in the, in the city of Richmond, throughout the whole history of Richmond, there has never been a sustained revival ever in Richmond. There is something that is opposing the things here in Richmond to cause that somewhere along the way, wherever revival springs forth, it breaks down. It usually breaks down into, into division. So I want to talk about the rest of this time that we have today, an issue that is so important for us to understand. Now listen, I'm not saying this morning there's a devil behind every bush type thing, and there's a devil on every doorknob or whatever. I understand that we can get really out of balance with this, but we do need to discern, we do need to be sober, and we do need to understand that there are things that in our lives that will come against you and I and our church and our families and what God is wanting to do in this city that we need to understand about. And as Christians, know that we have been given the authority to say no. To say no, not in this city. Not in this city. But if we're unaware of that, and we're unaware of the voice of this principality, and unaware of what this demonic force does, it's very easy for us to come into agreement with it. And we don't even know that we're doing it many, many times. Isaiah chapter 27. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1. says, In that day the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay that reptile that is in the sea. We have had several prophets to come into the city. Some come to our church. Uh, several people that are very discerning of things. And one after one after one, another says, listen, one of the, one of the principalities and powers that has set itself over Richmond is the spirit of Leviathan. Now, I know that being here for 15 years as pastors, we've dealt with Jezebel. We've dealt with a number of things. Jezebel, because we're very much of a pro prophetic type of a church, comes against us. But Leviathan is one of the things that, that, is, that, has, that is a demonic power that will come against individuals, marriages, lives. And you'll see why when you begin to see how this thing operates. It says that we don't war in the flesh and blood, but we war with principalities and powers. And it's important for us as Christians to learn to know the things that we need to pull down, ways of thought and, and principles of thought and things like that. So who is Leviathan? Leviathan says here is, a, is of the enemy. It says it is a twisted serpent. You'll see that one of the main things that Leviathan does is that it twists communication. It will do everything it can to confuse communication, to confuse anything. Have you ever talked with someone and you thought you were very clear? You thought, listen, 
A five-year-old child could understand this. But somehow it comes back to you totally different. And you under and all of a sudden now there's there's they're offended. Accusation is against you because of what they think that you have said, which you really didn't say that at all. Now understand that not every time there is a misunderstanding, well, that's the devil, that's the devil, you know. But when there's a pattern that is within a relationship, there's a pattern that is within, you find within churches and things like that, it is a problem. And it can very well be of demonically influenced. The other thing about Leviathan, it says in Job chapter 41, verse 34, it says that he beholds every high thing. He is king over the children of pride. The thing about Leviathan is that, that is, it, is, it is a major player in the, the, the enemy's kingdom. And it sets itself up in the level of kingship. And it's, it primarily many times you'll find that, it, that it, it, it brings its confusion, the twistedness of what he does against leaders many times. I don't know if, you, if you've ever been in uh, uh, places of leadership within a church where it seems like things are always getting twisted around. Things are always getting miscommunicated. Things are always being stirred up again and again and again. And many times that when those things are happening and happening on an ongoing basis, you've got something that you're dealing with, and you need to understand what you're dealing with. So when we think about Leviathan, as one is a demonic spirit. Sometimes it's referred to as water spirits. It wants to take territory, and it wants to rule and take your authority. And when we don't understand what's going on in our life, we don't understand what's going on, we many times will give up our authority. We will relinquish our authority. Because we think the problem is the other person. We think this other person is saying this or that or whatever. kind of goes like this. The enemy will, will many times stir up accusations, will stir up things through communication. I, I could come up to uh, Tyler today. And I said, Tyler, man, you are looking good today. Now, what could happen, I'm not saying it's going to happen. Tyler's a great guy. What could happen, he could say, well, so are there other days that I'm not looking good? But I, so he goes away thinking, well, Pastor Doug is just let, trying to let me know that most of the time I don't look good. But somehow today I look good. And that's not what I said at all, was it? But the enemy can get in and he can twist things around and bring confusion and offense. And all of a sudden, there is discord and there is hurt that happens in lives. One thing that this, this filthy thing wants to do is that wants to bring you into a covenant of agreement with him. And the way that you agree with them is that you allow yourself to be offended. You allow yourself to listen to the lie of the enemy. You, lie, you allow yourself, instead of thinking the best and out of love, loving someone, or just basically going and making sure, getting communication clarified, that 
you, you just allow yourself to begin to think wrong thoughts, wrong things, and you come in agreement with the thing. Let me share with, share with you a couple of the fruits or actions of Leviathan. One, we know that it twists communication, all right? Always twisted communication. It sows confusion, doubt, offense, and division against each other. That you, you're finding out that uh, this person or that person, whatever, has had this offense against you, and you don't know why. And they come back and they say, well, it was something that you did, you said. You don't even remember saying it. You don't even remember doing it. You know, I, I, I've, had, I've had moments where uh, in the busyness of a Sunday morning, I didn't, I didn't greet someone or give them a hug. You know, everybody knows I'm, I'm very much of a hugger. And uh, I didn't give a hug to someone. And later came back to say, well, Pastor Doug is upset at me, apparently, because he didn't give me a hug or this or that or whatever. But something gets sown that creates division and disunity in the body. And we, this is, people, this is really, really important because this thing, I believe this thing is, is a central thing here in the, in the city of Richmond. And I, uh, I know when, we, when I came here 15 years ago to start this church, I heard from pastor after pastor after pastor, this is one of the hardest areas to begin a church. And most of them split, and most of them just kind of uh, just, uh, just implode upon themselves with division and anger and hatred. And I'm just like, well, how, how could that really be? How could that be true? But when you are, when you are in engaging in spiritual warfare with the Spirit, you need to understand and know what you're engaging against so you can stand against it. We as a body can stand against it. We as a body would say, listen, we are not going to have division in this body. We're not going to allow miscommunication in this body. We're going to deal with it. And as and we will we are not going to come into agreement with what the enemy is doing. And you come against it. But fruits of Leviathan sows confusion, doubt, offense, division against each other. It feeds on the pride of the heart. It feeds on the pride of the heart. One of the things that happens when you are in in a place of disagreement and communication with someone, we always think that we're right, don't we? Let's just say yes, okay? We all think that we're right. And you're apparently if I'm right, then you're wrong. Well, they're thinking, well, apparently I'm right and you're wrong. And it feeds upon the pride of the heart of trying to figure out who's right, and that's the most important thing. It's not who's right and who's wrong. It's what brings life and what brings death. That's the important issue of life. It's not being right or wrong, life or death. So this one thing does, it brings that into life. It feeds upon the pride of the heart. The other thing that this thing does, it arouses you to bring accusation and cursing against each other. Because you feel like this person said this, or I thought he said this, or felt like he insinuated this, and all of a sudden, offense begins to rise up in the heart. And then the first thing you want to do, you want to get back. 
and you want to save something back that way. It always it, it always stimulates the activity of this enemy when do, when we do this. Another thing that it breeds a victim mentality. It breeds a victim mentality in families or in lives or in churches or whatever that that I'm just a victim. Everybody is against me. That's what you're thinking. That's what's been sown into your mind. Everybody's against me. Nobody really cares. Nobody loves me. Whatever. It breeds that. And it breeds a lot of confusion, a lot of mental instability. All right? Very quickly here, guys, I want to give you a couple of keys to help us to overcome this thing. One is humility. This this thing feeds upon the pride of the heart, the thing of wanting to be right. So when you're engaged into a situation where it seems like communication has gotten very twisted and is broken down and there's a fence there and there's all sorts of stuff is happening in that midst, the thing that we have to do to break the back of this thing is to be humble, is to go in with humility, that you go low. And you go in and say, listen, apparently something has happened here. I am so sorry. Can you please explain to me why you're upset? Could you please explain to me what you think you, that I said to you? And you work it out and you, go, you, you, you clothe this thing with humility. Because if you go in wanting to establish that I am in the right and I'm going to prove that I'm in the right, and I'm going to show you how right I am, <laughs> you're not going to get very far. Once again, it, it, when this thing becomes a pattern within a marriage, a pattern within a life, a pattern within a church or a community or something like that, you know that you're dealing more just with small misunderstandings. You know that you're dealing with something much larger than that. And because that you are and because that you're embroiled in this, you've been listening to the wrong voice. And you've been listening to the voice of saying, that person doesn't care about you. That person doesn't like you. That person has something against you. That person wants to do this, that, whatever in your life. And you begin to listen to that voice. And it becomes true to you. It becomes reality to you. And then you begin to live in that place and it'll bring you down, I tell you. Go low. Grace is always supplied, it says in James 4, 6, that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, when you bring humility into this situation, it cuts off the head of pride. Secondly, it's just love. Love is going to break the back of this spirit. When we determine that as individuals, churches, marriages, that I'm going to believe the best. That I am going to believe the best out of you. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And so it's a, it's a determination within our heart. I will not allow offense to remain in my heart. I will not allow our offense to remain in my heart because that's one of the things that, that the enemy does 
he introduces offense into our lives. And we grab hold of that bait. We take it and we go down that road of offense and hurt and bitterness. And if we don't deal with it, man, it just gets worse and worse and worse and becomes just a spiral downward into our lives. And it affects lives and it destroys relationship and it doesn't have to. Just think back in your own life or people that you know or situations that you're aware of because love was not the primary thing that this thing kept on and on and on and destroyed relationships. So it's love. Believing the best out of a person is one of the 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 uh, weapons that we use. We use the weapon of humility. We use the weapon of love, believing the best. We, li- we use the weapon of listening. Very simple. We use the weapon of li- listening, being silent, being quiet. Let the person share what they're wanting to share. How many of you, when, when someone comes to you with an accusation, comes to you with something, you're already in your mind, you're not listening, you're already in your mind thinking, what am I going to say in reply? How am I going to defend myself? You know, how am I, how am I going to come back at this or whatever? And it's very important because if we don't do these things, we don't exercise these type of weapons, we're never going to take ground in Richmond because we're giving a place, we're giving access to the enemy. And so listening, hearing someone and saying, listen, okay, so I believe Jennifer, you're saying this to me. Is that right? <laughs> you're saying that I promised you this or that, and I didn't fulfill my promise. Is that what you're saying? And you would say, no, that's not what I'm saying, Pastor Doug. I'm trying to okay, well, let's, let's go back here. So you, we learn to listen responsibly. We learn to listen in the correct way. And just the simple act of listening will 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 just break the enemy at the very beginning from trying to sow thoughts and seeds of offense and you said this or you said that or whatever. So listening. James one nineteen, I love this, it says, So then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Be a responsive hearer. The last two things very quickly here. Decree the word of God. Speak the word of God. What does God have to say about this situation? When there's issues going in, be able to decree the word of God. Be able to know, listen, every weapon formed against me will not prosper in the name of Jesus. That love does this. Unity does this in my life. Proclaim the word of God. Luke 10, 19 that I've given you authority to trample on all the serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you when you understand what it is. It says in, in, in Isaiah chapter 27, it says that in that day the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan. We understand that the sword of the Lord is his word. The sword of the Lord is his word. And when we just simply decree the word of God, when we decree the word of God about what God is doing in our community, 
what God is saying, what God wants us to do. We decree a word of God over our marriage. Decree a, decree a word of God over a relationship or whatever it might be. Then it breaks. It, 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 it's just like it severs the things of the enemy again and again and again. And lastly, one of the things they have, they, they say that really breaks the power of this thing is praise and worship. It's praise and worship. One reason why we give 40, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour at times to worship, one is not because, well, we just want to fill it up with that, you know, type thing, but it is crucial. It's crucial. How many you know that, the, that in the Old Testament, the proper way of going into warfare was to put the praisers out there first and to, and, and to go into the enemy, to assault the enemy with praisers? No, I don't. I think if we're, we're thinking about that today. We're thinking, well, maybe I might have a few weapons, other weapons with me up front there other than a flag waving, you know, or something like that. But, but, but we know again and again and again in the Old Testament, as praisers went forth, it, it just it disabled the enemy, disabled the enemy. But what happens when you, bring, when you bring the presence of God into a place and you're worshiping and praising him, you're looking at him and you don't let your eyes go on to other things. You don't let your eyes go upon what the enemy is doing. The second thing that I love, it says that Leviathan wants to be a king. Well, the best thing that we can do is to bring the king of kings and the Lord of lords right into our immediate place where we're at. And worship and praise does that like nothing else. It gives the true honor to the true king, the true one who, who rules and reigns in this earth today. And all of these things that we do, we're learning to hear the voice of the Lord and not the voice of the enemy. So the question is, is this very simply, what have you allowed yourself to be in agreement with? Like I said, one of the things, that this, this spirit is constantly stirring up twisted communication, especially among leadership or against leadership, because he wants to take ground. He wants to take authority. He wants us, by in agreement with him, we lay down our authority and we give him access to do whatever he wants to do. And I'm just telling you that I believe revival is coming to this city. I believe a move of God is coming into this city. Amen? And I believe that God has assigned our church and many churches in this area to be gatekeepers for this city. There's been prophetic word after prophetic word about Richmond, about it being a, a center, a, a, a central place for, for the move of God for revival. It's been amazing for, from well-known people in the body of Christ. And I want to tell you people, that we've got to understand what are the things that we're battling against in this city and, and rise up and war effectively. We have already won the victory. Amen? we just got to enforce it, guys. Just got to enforce it. And the thing of just the awareness of understanding what this thing is, 
Leviathan and what it does in the midst of our lives and our community. But the first thing that I want us all to stand if we would. I want us to, this morning if we could, to come into covenant together to understand that we are, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities and powers and that we are discerning and hearing the voice of our Father. And He is enabling us to walk in, the, in a renewed mind and walk in the, the newness of life. But there are, there are a few things that before we leave today that I'd like for us to, to agree together as a body and come into agreement together. When I, when I do a marriage ceremony, many times when the couple gives their vows to each other, they will say this, or I will say, these are your vows, and I'll proclaim your vows. And I said, if, you, if you're in agreement with this, say, we will, or we do. So I want to declare a couple of things over us this morning as a body. And I'd like for you, when I ask you, to say, are we going to, are we in agreement together on this? Say, we will, or we do, okay? The first thing is that we refuse to have division in this body. In the name of Jesus. If that's your heart, say, we will not have division in this body. The other thing is to be awareness of, have I been caught up in the thing of sowing seeds of dishonor, sowing seeds of hurt, not understanding certain communication, and, I, and I've responded out of a, of a place of offense or whatever to understand that that in some manner, in some way, I came in agreement with this spirit. But it stops today. So if that's you this morning, you feel like in some way, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be in other relationships, that somehow you came into agreement to the place of accusation, come to a place of confusion, come into a place of saying things out of a place of hurt, and you came in agreement with this spirit, so just say, I, 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 I did. But from this moment on, I will not come into agreement any longer. Say, I will. The next thing is very quick and very easily to say, Father, I understand what I've done, and I repent. I repent, Father, for responding in the wrong way, Father, I repent from coming into agreement with this spirit. And I repent today. And I choose to think in a different way from this moment forward. If that's your heart, say, I will. The other thing that I want to encourage you in is to reestablish your authority. The only way that we come into a place of covenant or agreement with something of the enemy is that we gave up our authority. 
We gave up our authority as a believer. We listened to a lie instead of discerning the truth of God. And say today that I will reestablish my rightful authority. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we exercise that authority. Father, we bind the spirit of Leviathan in the name of Jesus. Father, we, disp- we, we, we bind any spirit of discord. We bind any spirit, Lord God, of confusion, division, hurt, offense, in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you have an amazing future, God, for us. And we thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that we choose that. We choose that, Father, and we exercise our authority as believers where you say that all authority that has been given to me, I now give to you to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Father, we take that command, we take that pronouncement from you, and we will do that. And if that's your heart, say, I will. Father, I thank you this morning, Lord God. Father, we choose, Lord, to know your voice. We choose, Lord God, to live, Father, to move and have our being by what you have to say, Father. Thank you, Lord God, that we will be aware times that we're, all of a sudden we have come in agreement with something that we know, gosh, that's, that's not of the Lord. That person wouldn't be that way. I wouldn't be thinking that. We would correct it. We would correct it quickly, Lord. So we give you praise. We give you thanksgiving in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. If any of you have need for prayer,